0: faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up.
1: I think that the generation of that age group now they are living in a very grey world and I think it's greyer than it was for us oldies so everything that we took even not you know of the obvious things that were taken for black and white 20-30 years ago are not anymore I think it's so important that our Christian young people can work that through in a safe environment they've got to be able to say haven't they how how do I know what's right my good friends telling me this, my teachers telling me that, I really care about them. How do I navigate my way through this world? And there's got to be a safe space at home and at church for them to say those things and to be led through it.
2: Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast. I'm Ed. I'm the director of Faith in Kids. We're in this mini-series called Parenting Through the Stages. The reason we're doing this is that I have this sneaking suspicion that we all become expert parenting about six months too late, when we have finally understood just as our children have moved into the next season of life and that expertise is now gone forever. So we're trying to look at each stage of parenting and just ask the question – What is it about to raise this age group to know Christ? I'd like to say I have a panel of experts, but no one would let me do that on any podcast because almost no one believes parenting has experts. But I am here with three great friends. Uh, Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself? Where are you? Who are you? How's it going?
3: Hello, I'm Andrew. Um, I'm in Sheffield and um, I'm here with my wife, Katrina.
2: Hello. So just clarify for us, Kat, you have children in this age group we're talking about this evening, which is 15 to 18 year olds. Is that right?
4: Yes, we do. We have a son who's 16, a daughter who is very nearly 14 and another son
2: who's 11. Uh, Zoe, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your family and what is it you do?
1: Yep, I am in Sheffield and um, weirdly, I have children of almost exactly the same age, 15, 14 and 11. And also a son of fifteen, and it's my daughter in the middle who's fourteen, and a little boy of eleven and I'm a teacher I teach secondary r e and philosophy in Sheffield, so I have the privilege of hanging around with teenagers all day at school and also when I come home, which is a joy
2: so zoe could could we could we start with you then, given that uh, we're at the end of a very long year where you've probably seen all sides of this age group in ways you probably wish you hadn't in some ways it's been a hard year to be a teacher can you just tell us a bit about what are 14 to 18 year olds like if you were describing them to an alien what would you say
1: wow i think i mean the first thing i'd think of is diverse obviously any group of humans if you ask what are a certain age group of humans like they're all different obviously but um I think they are a very special age. So I think it's a privilege to both work and live with humans of that age because I think they are—they are becoming. Um, they're coming out of just being what they're a product of their family, and they're discovering who they want to be, who they are. Um, I think they're trying to work out who they are in the world around them, with friends, with society um how, who they are with their family all so they're, they're wrestling with so many big matters of identity i think humans of that age um and the covid has been i think it's been really hard it's really taken its toll on them and they've been amazing some have really struggled um found it lonely and difficult um but I think uh, some have been very honest about that and shared that, both at home and at school. Some, some of the teenagers around, I think, have really thrived on it. I think a few were, but have just like being alone, have had a bit of time on their own to get on and be really self-directed, which I think some teenagers are brilliant at more than others. Um, but for a group of people, that age group, who really need other people mostly, need each other... It's been a really hard time, I think, to be isolated and, and away from other people.
2: Thanks, Zoe. Uh, Kat, what are the common parenting experiences of this age group that you see? What are the things you wake up expecting your data to, to uh, contain?
4: I think one of the differences is that, and it, t- it doesn't occur to you or you don't learn it overnight, is that where you direct... day and you really, you say, well, we're doing this now and then we're doing that and then this is happening. You don't really get to do that in the same way anymore. You have to be much more sensitive and respectful and careful about how you get the things happening that you want to happen without stealing their growing sense of agency and independence, I think. They are they are sensitive and they are self-conscious and they are grown up one minute and like a little child the next minute and you can't use either of those against them in moments of frustration um and i think they they can be they can be very different on their own to how they are with their friends so if you experience your child in a group of friends behaving one way, and then you try and continue that when you're just on your own, it doesn't work and vice versa. And I think as well, rather than deciding when you're going to sit and read a story with them or pray with them, or now we're going to sit around the table and do a little Bible study. You, you have to be almost ready to do it at any time, but expecting that it could happen when you least expect it. So chats and conversations can happen very late, for example. And I think, so I think, I just think that the, the challenge is that um, sort of constant availability, but without being overbearing, kind of being in the background, but being, you're sort of on, you're sort of on alert almost all the time. Um so for, and I and I think the, the sort of the growing independence and the struggle for control um pulling either way. So they want more independence, but they also really need you and they hate that they need you as well. So I think that that can lead to tensions at times.
2: Andrew, uh could you give us a few examples of the sort of situations that for you sort of represent parenting this
3: age group? I think probably partly flowing from what katrina's just said um conflict is uh, a recurring frequent thing in family life um and it can it can completely take you by surprise because it can it can just seem to come out of nowhere um i guess you know picking up on on what zoe was saying that there's often a they're like emotionally quite tangled up sometimes and that can, you know, their, their responses to things can be quite un, unpredictable. Um, I think, so yeah, conflict. Um, I think another common experience is probably because um, you're sort of, you're entering that stage where you're sort of moving towards being a parent to adult children. I mean, that's that's the kind of trajectory that you're on. And so uh, what comes with that is, you know, you have to watch them make their own mistakes. And it it isn't necessarily the most helpful thing just to charge in and point out their errors and, you know, whatever, all the time. Um, Probably the, the, I don't know, an, an example there probably would be like screen time so at what point do you stop imposing specific boundaries and you must be off your phone by this time etc and when do you start to say well i don't think it's a very good idea that you're <laughs> you know on your phone as much as you are but you you need to you need to make that decision for yourself and then the next morning when they're exhausted because they've stayed up you know late or whatever watching telly that's when you can have a perhaps more fruitful conversation about consequences
4: so one of our children is very nocturnal and last week they were involved in a works team at a holiday centre which meant they had to be there at 8:30 in the morning bearing in mind that this child will happily go to bed anywhere from 1 to 3 in the morning on a regular basis and because we are not also up at that time, we're not there to police that. So that was quite a good example of learning and consequences last week, um, which we—I mean, we were very invested in him. I've given away which child it is; it won't surprise anybody. Um, very invested in 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 him being where he needed to be on time. So we did we did help, but that. Yeah, you had to be really careful in the sort of, you know, not laying it on thick with the sort of, well, I I could have told you this would happen given how late you went to bed, for example. Um, So I think there's things like that and they're sitting in the car feeling tired and hungry because they've not had any breakfast. Well, that you know, that's tough because you've made a commitment to be at this place and you will, you know, have to sort of work it out. I think going back to the conflict thing as well, learning how to handle conflict together has become quite, has been, can be quite challenging. So one of our children can, clashes with me particularly, but rather than, rather than take it up with me, we'll take it to Andrew and tell Andrew all about it. So then Andrew has to act as a mediator between us to sort of say, and he does that whole kind of, you know, I'm hearing that you're feeling like this. Would you like to tell mum what it is that's upset you? <laughs> And now,
3: I'm a complete professional.
4: Katrina, would you like to tell the child <laughs> how that makes you feel when they say this? so we've we've had to navigate some of that, and some of that is is really beneficial that Andrew will do that f- for us, but also trying to train that child how to you know how to how to approach around the conflict, and then obviously, I need to learn how to behave better across the board in that situation, not be over-emotional or um, like a, you know, the
2: fourth child in the situation. Andrew, do you offer some sort of training course
3: in this? <laughs> well, maybe I'll start.
2: He's pretty good. It it sounds excellent. I mean, there are a number of global war hotspots that I think would appreciate that sort of mediation. Zoe, um, As a teacher and a parent, um, are you able to identify what the opportunities are of this age group? What, you know, what we can look forward to and spot and enjoy?
1: I I think there are some real treasures in this age group, which is that um, young people are really open, open to ideas, open to listening. And I think they are emotionally open to people who they know, respect them and care about them. I think young people at this age are extremely quick to know this person has written me off or this person expects nothing of me. Um, But this person is prepared to just listen, look me in the eye and hear me for who I am, that I am a person. And so I think there's massive opportunity. So for example, in the classroom, it's something I hope to do, but um, don't succeed, obviously, all the time. That. There are people, there are young people who come in and they've got a reputation already and they expect that you expect them to be a certain way. And there have been times when it's been possible for me to take, I think of a young um, a boy I was able to just talk with on his own at the end of a very disrupting time in a lesson and try to just avoid the conflict altogether altogether try to just be very quiet and calm and then to listen and I think that I think that teenagers of this age want to be heard they want to be treated as if they are a human being who has value by everybody and so if someone takes the time to listen to how they feel and what they say that just seems to matter a lot and it just goes a really long way Um, So then next time I see them in a class that they've thought, okay, she just she just seemed to listen and she knows that I'm a 3D human. I'm not just that annoying boy who's always shouting or something. Um, And I think that there's a joy in seeing relationships grow, I think, at this age. It's all too playful. Everything's, everything can change. So a, a difficult relationship can be made better with... A, I mean, I don't think it's magic. It's not magic. But that we as the grown-ups have so much that we can do. We can be the listeners. We can try and be the patient ones. We can be the ones who show love. And that putting that in to... Even if it's just a 10-minute chat for me as a teacher, it goes a massively long way. Um, and though for us as parents, it's obviously we can do that, you know, a million fold more. And I I think that's just I love with my teenagers. I just love it's a bit like what Kat said, um, seeing that they are turning into these people who are not me. They've got their own ideas. They've got their own sense of humor. They think things are funny. And it's just I love it. It's so it's so, it's so interesting Um, to have conversations around the table where everyone's got different ideas and you think, oh my goodness, I never thought of that. That's amazing. So it's, it's fantastic. I love that. And I think that the relationship, as a parent, I feel that there's a depth that you can get to in the teenage years, which is very precious. So if you do have conflict and then at the end, there's a sorry, I'm really sorry, either from me I'm really sorry, I just reacted badly. Or from them, I'm really sorry, mum, I said those things. Then you can have a precious reconciliation, which is really meaningful. Um, I think, which is really different to when they're younger. It feels like a, there's a depth to that, which is very precious. And I hope that investing in that now in these years means it will continue into adulthood as a parent. But I don't know yet. That's the next step for someone else's podcast.
2: <laughs> Andrew. Uh, we've spoken a little of the conflict we've spoken a lot about the fact that uh, children of this age are near adulthood they are their own people with their own ideas Uh, what as a Christian parent can we be striving for thinking through with this age group
3: it's almost starting with uh, what what can't you do so you know, I, I, I want my children to to know Jesus and to have faith in Jesus. But I, I can't call like call down the spirit on them and and give them that. Um so so as a as a parent, you really see that that that's why that's why I need to pray for them. Because what, what i want for them i can't i can't give them myself but but i believe that god can and then so so i guess how you then act as a parent i hope flows from that um because when you know i don't, I don't think that i'm a, a sort of passive player because i can't convert my children that's not what i'm called to so so sort of walking with them and you know being a dad who does talk about god's word with them and does model reading god's word himself is re- is really important um but then yeah then also i mean yeah it's not it's not that we it's not like I swoop in every now and then to do a bit of Bible with my children and then go. You're, you're, you're living your life with them and alongside them. Um, so it's really important that you, that you give them time and you, you listen to the things that they're thinking about and the things that they're interested in. Um, and, and sort of, I don't well, I, I accept them as Jesus has accepted me my children inevitably will will sin as I do how, how am I going to deal with that? you know I'm going to try and walk with them and not make them feel like they've let me down or you know that they've done something unforgivable
4: I think as they get older as well they're increasingly sensitive to being told what they ought to be doing and so you have to find new and creative ways of doing that without actually saying it so not in a sort of "Oh look, I happen to be praying in the kitchen as you come in, but I mean, really, just how you go about your day, if you're having to kind of shoehorn it in like that, then you know you've got it's, it's a habit that anyone listening with much younger children is you know it's a habit to start now um for for their benefit and and for your benefit. So they they see how you're living. They watch how you interact with each other as a couple. They're starting to be more interested in relationships and things. The first relationship that they're seeing really right under their noses is is mum and dad, a man-woman relationship. So they watch how you love each other, how you're cheeky with each other, how you um, disagree or talk about other people. You know, that's a big one you know, I've we've had them say, well, I don't think that's very Christian, mum. I don't think you should be talking about that person like that. You know, they really hear and they can smell hypocrisy a mile off. So if you're talking one sort of talk and walking another sort of walk, they really see that, which I think isn't to say that they expect you to be perfect because they can see that you're not, but it's all the more important that they see and that they know that you know that you absolutely need to be dependent on god as much as them also as they see you being a sort of you know in inverted commas a successful adult who owns a house and has a job the things that they're told at school all the time are the sort of things that you know they're going for they need you to see that you're not settling just on those things as though you've really made it as an adult and therefore that's where they should be headed so that you hold the thi- you hold the things of this world lightly um and you know and you that you know where your real treasure is and that it's 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 god's work and the good works he's prepared for you to do and it's not stuff so not that you're going you know we've we've done well with our holidays and things or whatever
2: cat this is a very practical situation so you you're going to have to help us understand wh- how we do that you know if we are someone with a job with a roof over our head and clothes on how how do we demonstrate as a parent with people who see everything that we're we're striving for more what does that how, how do you manage to do that cat
4: you know like a massive massive house and a better
2: car or something sorry and striving for more doesn't mean a bigger house in this particular instance
4: one of the children actually did ask me the other day and has asked us a few times recently are we rich and to which you you know that's a real gift of a question to answer in a way that, um, you know, because you, you on one hand you could say, well, oh, no, we're not as rich as so and so, but actually we we have I answered it that yes we are rich we, you know we are richer than so many people in the world, and we have everything we need and more and more than that and it sounds a bit cheesy as so you're saying it but you think I can't not say it. Otherwise, I'm leaving Jesus out. you say more than that, you know all this will go but and we but we have Jesus, we know him, and we know we know God, so that is that's more than all this stuff. I think another thing worth pointing out is that two of our children have got um a- additional needs and so while we don't know where their where their lives are going in in some senses. I think we can safely say that they're not going in any sort of conventional direction at the current time. And so that idea of am I going to get all these qualifications and then get that massively well-paid job, that, that's not an obvious trajectory for some of our children at the moment. Is that, is that fair? So do you see what I'm trying to say? So I'm talking to my husband for the benefit of those who aren't looking at me. (laughs) So majoring on the material, it's not something we should be doing anyway, but it's it's just not a given that that will be the case. And that won't matter if they know Jesus. And we want them to know that that is always the more important thing, whatever job you're doing, whatever
1: qualifications you have. I think I totally agree with that and I I really agree that with with teenagers there's no hypocrisy they see through you I I feel that as a teacher and as a parent so a teacher who says one thing and does another is just they can see that straight away or if a teacher says they care but actually they really hate the child they know that and I think that's such I just it's quite frightening sometimes because oh, well my heart is certainly not pure and I have bad motive, You know, we all do, don't we? And at home, you know, they see they, they see through any, like you said, any hypocrisy. And so I think that for me, the starting point is just got to be to ask God to change my heart first so that what they see would be true, my true heart coming out. So that he would have changed my heart so that I really do love him. And so that when we talk, what I'm naturally talking about is what things that are like you said both of you the the eternal things that we are talking about who Jesus is what he's like what it means to follow him and if that's what's coming out of our heart that's what we'll be discussing more than the car and the house and the holiday and that then they will just pick that up and round the table and it's, I think for me as an RE teacher, my poor kids get the old. Oh my goodness, we've got an RE teacher as a mother, but it does mean we have a lot of conversations at home about what happens in their RE lessons at school, and we we um we spend a lot of time talking about what what is true about the world and what other people is tr- th- people think is true, and how on earth do we know what's true and. How do we love people who are different from us? And I I hope, what I want them to know is they are loved by God and that everyone is loved by God so that we're not on some sort of crusade to convince people that we're right. What we want is we want people to know that God loves them and we want our own, I want my own children to know that so that if in five years' time they say, do you know what, I, I'm not sure about all this, they will know rock solid that they will still be loved and that that goes on at home and then hopefully that will bring them back to God um but I think I think that's absolutely a 100 percent. so we often have conversations like you know what what would you do if I we often have that conversation you know all right what would you do if I if I got arrested what what would you do if I came home and I'd been taking nothing but drugs what would you know and they're sort of funny but they're really important conversations to have that I would just love you I would be sad Um, because I think for children in Christian families it's so important that they know that they they're not the public face of you to the world so we don't need them to be good nice children so that our families in church whatever will think we're good parents and I think, sad to say, it's really easy to feel that, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, don't talk like that in front of our friends. What will they think about me, basically, because of what you've just said? There's a terrible, I think, pressure to put on your kids, which I've definitely done and I think is incredibly unhelpful. doesn't lead them to Jesus. So hopefully, I've got to that. Somebody gave me this... It was not my own idea at all, but I used to pray with the kids at night that they would love when I was praying with them at night that they would love Jesus and I've just totally stopped in the last sort of five years. I just pray at night with them. They would know how much God loves them. And uh, somebody told me that that's how they prayed with their children. It just really touched me because I thought, actually that's what they need to know. They need to know how loved they are by God and not what I am subconsciously telling them that I want them to do. Andrew,
2: can you tell us a bit, um, practically uh you're living with almost adults and we we've talked a lot about the you know the inability to sort of force them make them we don't we you don't want to do that so in the realm of sort of Christian habits and lifestyle opening the Bible praying going to church what 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 have you settled on andrew
3: i- sp- i suppose this is an opportunity where i could uh you know i I could give you the answer in theory this is what it should look like um so i i'm i'm not i'm not in the habit of sitting down with our two older children and reading the bible not like i used to be um i think i think that's partly um ill ill discipline on my part um you know it's it, i found it quite difficult to to, you know, to try and encourage that that discipline in them during times when I've been struggling myself, you know, with my own, um, well, just with with my own faith. Um, but I think, but so, I think them seeing me reading the Bible is important. But I think just being able to have conversations with them. Um, we had at the tea table yesterday. We were we were talking about heaven um no we weren't we were talking we were talking about nakedness Be- because of a weird dream that i'd had
4: which we don't need to go into I, I
3: can i can tell you the dream if you want it's not it wasn't inappropriate But
2: i think that the, the, the dream in this particular okay. podcast uh. is less significant Andrew. I think we'll focus on the parenting conversation over tea. <laughs> okay, you that's could do fine, that dream yeah. on a different. Or we'll maybe put podcast. it as an outtake
3: or something like that. I, I don't mind. Anyway, we so we had this conversation <laughs> about nakedness and what does it mean that because you know before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. Um, so we we had this great conversation about what what does that mean that kind of who we are. But and then we got onto to heaven, and uh, one of our children was saying. So will we be naked in heaven? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And he, and he said, well, but there's loads of there's loads of clothes that I really like wearing, and that I think, you know, God, he might be looking down from heaven, going, yeah, I like, I like that. We'll, we'll have that in in heaven. <laughs> so it was, it was a really random kind of slightly weird conversation. But then we did get on to talking about, you know, u- ultimately, um, it's that. You know, he- heaven is that God Himself is there. You know, it's not—it's not just that it'll be great, but God Himself will be there, and that—and that's what will be amazing. So, so yeah, I—I I, I think what I'm saying is that. Well, I suppose it's the importance of being disciplined yourself, and you know, you just having the sort of the, the biblical narrative nearer the front of your mind means that you're ready to have those conversations you know, just taking the chances whenever they whenever they come up. I mean, as for church, we're still at the stage where we will say Sunday that this is what we do. Um, yeah. By and large, that's fine. There are times when it's a bit, We just don't want to. Um,
4: yeah, mercifully, we haven't really had any stages where people really haven't wanted to come. We've had times where people haven't wanted to go to children's work or youth stuff. Um, And our church is a planted church of 12 years old, something like that. It's about 12 years old. And I expect like a lot of planted churches, there are very few teenagers in it. In about five years time, there will be loads of teenagers. But at the moment, so our eldest, our 16 year old, is one of about four teenagers of his age there's one other boy his age and there are two girls in the year above him so that's that's it that's our, that's their youth for them so you're talking like a really small group but i have to say i don't think people should be put off by being in a church like that and immediately think you have to go to the big place with the big youth work because relationally it has been really rich for him and it has been really beautiful to see the way that students and young people in their sort of early 20s who are much nearer in age to him than they are to us have, have sort of got alongside him and chat to him talked to him about games and gaming and the stuff that he's into films and that has been really good for him for his confidence for seeing christian role models just a bit further on from him arguably a better role models for him than a similarly fumbling along Christian teenage boy. I mean, I'm not saying that there can't be great friendships within youth groups, but they just haven't really had that. It's been with older people and with, and with our friends, people taking an interest in our children.
1: I think church takes on a different role as well at this age because um, being more engaged with the world and the ideas of the world... Think young people between 15 and 18 are suddenly realizing there's this massive disconnect between what i hear at church and what i hear at school and what i hear from my teachers and in sometimes there's a massive cultural disconnect as well isn't there the way people are in some in churches sometimes feels like a different world um just in terms of just talking and singing and dressing and behaving and everything and i think For a lot of Christian young people at this age, that's really difficult. They can feel like they're living in two different worlds and they've got to work out, oh my goodness, which is my world and which is true. And I think that's very, very hard for them. And it's a challenge, I think, for us as parents to try and really be upfront about that and not pretend it's not happening.
2: I'm running a camp this summer. Uh, And it's replacing a whole heap that have been cancelled. So it's only three nights, it's under canvas. And one thing I notice is that we've got some young people coming who I don't think would have gone to camp normally because it's a bit shorter, it's a bit more relaxed. And I've had parents say to me already, uh, my son, my daughter finds our church very black and white. They can't say what they're thinking. They can't express their doubts. Uh, It'd be great, Ed, if this camp wasn't like that. And and I think what I take from that is is a fairly common experience of being a parent is that um, often <laughs> parents are having the grey conversations with their children at the edges, at the limits, understanding what it is to live as a Christian with doubt, with questions, with a culture that is firmly set against you, uh, and we are putting them into youth groups led by absolutely wonderful saints who are much clearer on the black and white.
1: I think um, I definitely agree with that. And I think that the generation of that age group now, they are living in a very grey world. And I think it's greyer than it was for us oldies. So everything that we took, even not, you know, of the obvious things that were taken for black and white 20, 30 years ago are not anymore. And so even to express, I think it's so important that our Christian young people can work that through in a safe environment. They've got to be able to say, haven't they, how how do I know what's right? My good friend's telling me this, my teacher's telling me that, I really care about them. How do I navigate my way through this world? And there's got to be a safe space at home and at church for them to say those things and to be led through it. And I think that To be honest, I think often we are far too... This might sound controversial. I think we as adult Christians are far too black and white. I think things sometimes are a bit more grey than we have the courage to accept. But if if the key thing is that these young people know who Jesus is, then if they want to know him because he's so wonderful, then I wonder if these issues won't be the key issue. Because I think the world wants to say... We hate the church because it's homophobic. We hate the church because it's all these different things. Transfer. Those are the issues rather than who is Jesus. And so for our poor kids, they're kind of feeling, I've got to save the Christian faith by having this issue sorted out. And that is intolerable burden because we, we can't do it, can we? But if they can know deep in their hearts, I want to be with Jesus because there's something incredible about him, then maybe these other issues can just we can just give them time just 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 take time one day we will have you know it doesn't need to be what's the answer today which sometimes some groups can maybe express they need to be able to say the right answer as a kind of apologetic
2: thank you uh andrew i I suspect every stage of parenting has low moments And uh, through this series, I am struck being reminded of the low moment of pregnancy and the low moment of two-year-olds and the low moment of, and we can go through, they're all there. Can you give us some insight, Andrew, into what the low moments of this age group are when you feel you're being pushed
3: beyond your limits? I would answer that, but I think I I would start with, I think I'd start with myself rather than with children. So... I don't know whether it's partly just as you go through life, you know, you, you encounter more difficult situations and so on. But when, when, I, the times when I've really been, as you say, at the limit, are the times when I've had struggles, you know, spiritual or faith struggles, or just the stuff of life, and then you're you're trying to love and support. You know the, the, these these children who are, as we've said already, are going through all these different emotions and um, are, are a bit all over the place. So when just when I, I guess they they become they take up Kat, more. Is of there your capacity, something
2: you'd write in a sharpie I've, pen I've found over as, as your as bathroom older, mirror because
3: they're becoming people? So they're becoming just like you know they're becoming adults, and and so that what that asks of you is inevitably quite a lot more
4: it, for me it would be it would be a reminder that all this is not on me and to depend to depend wholly on god for 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 my children for their salvation and for their well-being and their their futures so where when i get to the end of myself i find that i am afraid i am I want to then clamp down and control and control the outcomes. I never thought I had a problem with control until my children started to get much older. I think I felt I had them quite under control when they were small. And so if you feel like you're in control, you don't think you have an issue with control because everything seems to be going quite well. But I also realize now that that wasn't really that much to do with me. And as they become more outside of my control and more independent from me, I have found that at times really difficult. And my desire is to control outcomes, to head off mistakes or failures as I perceive them before they happen, and particularly to protect myself from the prospect of big, scary emotions, and fear of what others think. So, and that includes things like, you know, wanting to have all these wonderful conversations and open relationship with my children. But there've been times where I've been scared to ask things because I've been really scared of what they might say. And then that goes washing around in your mind. And um that, that has driven me really, really low actually at times. And and also, and so within that, learning more about God's sovereignty and where where he where I end and my my limits and my my weakness really asking him to to fill me up with what I just don't have on my own for them that they need and also knowing that what they most need is isn't even in me it's it's in him so I think I think that that's that's the biggest thing I mean it's it's when it's hard it's really hard you know it to be sitting in bed thinking how long do we leave it when one of your children has stormed out of the house at midnight and you think probably just be five minutes and you know and the time goes and you think should we go now should we go now and then you go out and you're driving around the streets looking for your child and you can't find them you know that that is really hard and then and then how do you handle it when you do find them and they tell you that they saw the car and they hid behind a wall, <laughs> you know. And then they were scared because they realized that you were out looking for them because you love them. And, and then where you go from that, you know, there's it, it, it's hard. when it's hard, it's, it's really hard. But, but when it's great, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's, it's the best fun.
2: I saw a Twitter post. There was something. I think we called them tweets. In fact, I'm showing my age. A Twitter post. <laughs> Bless you, don't Ed. Don't laugh at me. It's, this is being recorded. Um, a tweet. I, twi- I saw a twit. A tweet. A tweet. I saw a tweet, and I, and I, I think it said something like, "Help! I've got a teenage child. They never do anything what I say. I don't know where to start, and I'm fed up." And it predictably, you know, had a thousand replies. Can I just ask you? I, and I, you know, look. I think that's fairly common. I think it's. There's a sort of thousand yard stare you get, I think, from parents with teenagers this age. I remember one dad saying to me as I talked to him, I'm not even sure I had children at that point, And he said to me, you do know, Ed, for most of the time, I don't know where my sons are, don't you? And uh, and he just, in other words, he's just saying, Ed, please wake up to the reality to have three teenage sons in a house in London. Can you begin, Zoe? After that pretty horrendous introduction to a question, um, what what is the beginning of a Christian answer to the parent who really feels like they have little influence on their children?
1: I think there's a that's a huge question, um and I think it's brilliant actually to be doing this podcast with people who might be listening with younger children because I think that the answer to that, if possible can start in the early years uh which is if it's possible be in a community a christian community um where you can so that by the time you're getting into the teenage years there might be people who can support you there might your your teenager might potentially have some christian friends but that i mean this is a privilege and so that's just a if possible um obviously for many for many of us that might not be possible and I think that um, I think that prayer is the absolute key thing, which is what Kat said that we we can't we can't make people we can't control humans we can't make them something we want to be when we were little, we probably thought we could, but that was a bit of an illusion and we maybe thought we didn't have to trust God because actually because we it felt like we could control things, but that, was, that wasn't true. We, we had to trust them. Um, I was with my children in Cambodia, and one of my, my children very nearly died. And I realized with a sharp and painful jolt, I am not in control of this child's life. Only God holds this child. And as they're teenagers, and they're more independent physically, it's still only God who holds them. And I think we, we, rel- we have to rely on him in prayer. And in the middle of the night when I'm awake, tossing and turning, worrying about my failures and all the things I've done with my children, wrong. I often remember that I try to call to mind, is more honest, that we've been promised that we have a great high priest who is interceding for us. And it just reminds me, he's interceding for my children like I try to call their names to mind and say they are being interceded for now so that tr- that is a that is by way of helping me to trust at the same time I think there are really practical things we can do I think that as parents we need to feel okay about reaching out for for help if we think my goodness I don't know what to do with my teenagers I think we should try and reach out if there are people in our church youth workers um, I've emailed mine and said, Can you give me advice on X, Y, and Z? And they're fantastic. If I think if people's church doesn't have that, there are organisations, probably like you, Ed, and others, who can be emailed. <laughs> I think I think we can talk to our GPs, I really mean that. Our teenagers go through times of real anxiety and mental health problems and we shouldn't as parents. I really think we have to take that seriously, particularly now, COVID times. We've got kids who really need professional help. I think we should reach out to the GP um, and be honest with friends and say, I just haven't, I just come at the end of myself. I, I don't know what to do. And I think that's really difficult as Christian parents because we've got horrible pride. I should be able to cope. I should be able to, you know, if I t- say that my kid is doing this, I'll look like the terrible parent. That's just, all oh, that's rubbish. That that just leads to a bigger problem. <laughs> um so i i that's what i
2: would want to say i think uh, i'm very grateful to the three of you and um i'm also clear that as we've gone up in ages it's become clearer to me that there are there are many good reasons why parents don't want to speak on a podcast about their children who could be listening to it and who probably will so i'm, I'm very grateful that you've been willing to do this uh I have really enjoyed this conversation. My children aren't at this age, and that's why I've said nothing. I'm I'm really grateful to you. Kat, are you willing to finish by praying for those parents who are listening? And yourselves.
4: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are sovereign and that you know our children intimately and love them more than we ever could. Lord, we thank you that we are not in this work on our own, but that even as you are parenting us, we parent our children. Thank you that we have so much to learn from you as a father, um, to your son, to our big brother. Father, I pray for all parents who are desperate or on their knees at what the near future may hold for their children. They feel they can't connect with them or they are concerned or they worry what people will think. Lord, I pray that you would bring them comfort and relief and reassurance that they are not alone, that you are with them, that you are with their children. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all with teenagers to remember that they won't always be like this, that the teenage years are a unique time in their development and in their in, in their lives and Lord we just pray that you would hold them close and protect them and help us to know when to keep silent and when to speak as we hold out your love and your truths to them. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. I hope this podcast has been a blessing to you listening. Uh we love to hear from you. Podcast at faithinkids.org. Uh you can email us. You can go to Twitter where I regularly twit post. You can go to Facebook and Instagram where trendier people than me are busy. Uh you can support us uh in prayer. Uh we'd absolutely love The Lord's insight into what we should be doing as a team and how we can support parents and churches. And you can support us financially. Uh, You can go to our website. We'd love to do more. We'd love to help more. Uh, Go to our website, faithinkids.org, and I bet you can work out how to do it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Katrina. And thank you, Andrew. Bye bye. You say bye bye after I say bye bye. Ready? Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Sorry, I did that really badly. Awful. That that was a lot like
2: Rainbow. It was beautiful. (laughs)